calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You're listening to Inherited Danger, book two of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information, maps, and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Oily black smoke rolled from the lamps that lit the watering hole and Miss Maris wiped the tears from her eyes. The smoke from the makeshift lamp oil was only part of the reason she cried. What had once been a joyful existence had turned into constant struggle. Everything was in short supply these days, especially good humor. Without decent food and drink, business was slow, and she spent much of her time trying to survive. Scrubbing the soot from the walls, she did what she could to keep her in clean, but it was a battle she always lost, and she began, once again, to despair. Many of the people she held dear were in the Chinopa Valley, beyond the atrocity known as Edling's Wall. Construction of the wall sapped the Pinook of resources when they needed it most. Miss Maris could not understand how people could spend their time building a barrier between themselves and their countrymen when there was not enough food to go around. Fools they were. The lot of them, she thought. Looking around, she wondered why she stayed. Why she didn't just join those in the Chinapa Valley. Those with good sense. But just like every other time the thought had occurred to her, she realized she could not leave behind her inn, the place that had been her mother's life and her grandmother's before that. No, she would stay and try to make the masters see that they were wrong to divide the godfist. Knowing they would never change their minds for their greedy ways, she returned to scrubbing, her tears running anew. The first sight Katrin saw when she woke was a hooded figure leaning over her, and she squeaked in surprise. The figure backed off quickly and waved a silent apology while Katrin tried to figure out where she was. Her mind muddled, the stone bath confused her, but somewhere between sleep and wakefulness, it all rushed back. 
She shook her head to clear the last of the drowsiness, then climbed from the basin. As she stood too quickly, the blood seemed to rush from her head. Dizziness overwhelmed her, and the monk let support while she regained her balance. Katrin thanked the woman and drank three mugs of water while she waited for the spell to pass. Slowly, she began to feel better. Supporting herself again, Katrin gave a nod, and the monk led her back to the hall and opened the third door in. Katrin followed, whimsically wondering how they could top the previous days, and she tried to prepare herself for the unexpected. Inside stood another stone table, next to a bubbling pool of murky brown mud that shifted and moved. Tiny specks of something shiny caught the light as they shifted, giving the pool an even more mystical appearance. Another female monk waited inside, and Katrin marveled at how adept she had become at gender identification. It had become almost effortless. Once Katrin was supine on the table, the women coated her with a thick layer of the sparkling mud that almost immediately began to dry. When she was thoroughly coated, they left her to dry in silence. The drying mud pulled at her skin as it shriveled and cracked, and in some places it itched terribly, but she endured, not wanting to move. It was not long, though, before the women returned. They peeled the husk from Katrin, and the feeling of cool air on the newly exposed skin was intense. They wiped away the rest of the mud with a damp cloth, and the entire process was repeated, consuming the rest of the day. Fierce winds drove the sleet, turning it into stinging projectiles that immediately froze on whatever it struck. Borga John walked with his head down each step a trial as he had to stomp through the thick layer of ice that coated the snow. To walk on top of the ice was impossible. We should turn back, Enid said. We'll die long before we ever reach Omahold. You knew what you were getting into when you accepted this assignment. Keep walking. Both knew this was a mission from which they would not return. They also knew they had to succeed. General Dempsey would keep his word, which meant there was no turning back. He did not know what deal Enid had struck, and he did not care to know. For Borga, success was the only option. To fail was to send his daughter, Bella, to her death, and that he could not even think about. Bella was a good girl, too kind and sweet to be in an army. Borga could not blame her for deserting and with his final act, he was determined to set her free. This task would be completed even if he had to do it alone, and given Enid's whining, that was beginning to seem increasingly likely. Borga looked around and said, We need to make shelter for the night, or we'll freeze to death. Make a shelter out of what? Snow and ice? Precisely. Now dig. We need to form a pocket of air beneath the snow. That'll keep us warm. Warm? Warmer than we would be exposed to this wind. Shut up and dig, Borga said, tempted to just kill Enid now and go on by himself. But he knew that together they had a better chance of succeeding. He would tolerate Enid for Bella's sake. 
When they had a shelter large enough to hold them both, they settled in for what would be a long night. I thought you said it would be warmer in here. Shut up, Enid. Katrin woke in a strange room that was moderately furnished, but she did not recall how she had come to be there. It was an uneasy way to start her day, but she still looked forward to whatever adventure it would bring. When the monks arrived, she discerned one male and one female. The male was obvious due to his height and girth, but she confirmed her visual assessment with her other senses. When the monks selected a door, Katrin was almost certain she had been through that one before, but the room beyond was nearly empty. Lamps hung on the walls and a thin layer of cloth lined the floor. The cloth was tightly woven and appeared to have been treated with some sort of sealant. When Katrin stepped into the room, the cloth gave way, cushioning her foot. She followed the trail of footprints left by the monks and amused herself by walking in the man's large footprints. By the feel, she guessed that the floor had been covered in a layer of sand before the cloth had been laid. Intrigued, she wondered what its purpose could be. The male monk approached her and nodded a bow that Katrin respectfully returned. She steeled herself as he moved behind her. Using his hands, he began to manipulate her stretching her stiff muscles, and she felt like a clay doll in his powerful grip. Some of the stretches and contortions were painful, but others felt wonderful as they released pent-up tension. Bones occasionally popped and shifted as she stretched, and it felt glorious. She was surprised, though, when the man contorted her body seemingly for the sole purpose of producing loud pops. The positions were not all that uncomfortable, and the releases felt good, but she couldn't shake the impression she was being attacked by a bear. When he grabbed her head, swiveling it back and forth, she prayed he did not underestimate his strength and twist it right off her neck. A sudden jerk of his hands was accompanied by an alarmingly loud series of crunches, and for an instant she feared he had snapped her neck. When he removed his hands from her head, she moved her neck tentatively, and not only found it still attached, but discovered the knot in her neck was gone, and she hadn't even realized her neck was sore until after the relief of tension. He gestured for her to lie on the floor, and Katrin wondered what he would do to her next. He rolled her to one side, manipulating her low back in ways she would have never imagined. The pops and cracks were not as loud or as plentiful, but those that occurred felt massive. Rolling her onto her stomach, he placed his hands on her head for a moment, then departed. A female monk approached, and Katrin was a bit shocked when the woman stepped on her, and she was even more surprised when the second foot followed. More loud pops and cracks accompanied the woman's footsteps as she worked Katrin's flesh with her toes. Katrin was glad the female monk was performing this part of the ritual, for the man would have crushed her. When the treatment was completed, she was led back to the room with the stone-filled basin. The energy of the stones beckoned to her, and she rushed to finish drinking her water, anxious to immerse herself in the rainbow of textures. Oh.
Do you think Katrin is purified yet? Osborne asked over the evening meal. With as much manure as she shoveled over the years, they've got a lot of purifying to do, Strom said, laughing. Do you really think they'll make Cat cut her hair? Chase asked. There's a good chance, Benjamin said. I only told you it was a possibility so you would not be surprised. She may not be very happy about it. I can't imagine Cat without any hair. It'll grow back, Benjamin said softly, and he looked around the common room. The tables were beginning to fill up. They had agreed to keep Katrin's activities to themselves, and he did not wish to be overheard. The murmur of many voices filled the air, but still he kept his voice low. Just keep doing what you are doing, and everything will be fine. I know, Osborne said. I'm sorry. I just keep thinking about what they might be doing to Cat. Gives me the crawls. This whole place gives me the crawls, Strom added. Things here may seem strange, Benjamin said. But if these people journeyed to the Godfist, they would find our ways just as strange. You'll get used to it. I just want to see Katrin do whatever it is she's supposed to do so we can all go home, Chase said. Benjamin looked at the faces around him, knowing none of them would be going home soon, knowing their homes may no longer even exist. But he said, Nothing. The rest of the meal was eaten in silence. The days and nights that followed were variations of the first few days, and Katrin enjoyed herself thoroughly, although she was not overly fond of shaving. Despite the lack of food, she seldom felt pangs of hunger. It was more the desire for taste and spice that gave her cravings than it was the desire for solid food. She lost count of the days and lost track of which doors in the hall led to which rooms. As she approached what she thought to be the final days of the cleansing, she was immensely proud of herself for having gone through with the process. It was a scary thing to take on alone, and she felt strengthened by the experience. When four monks, three female and one male, arrived for her one morning, Katrin anticipated the conclusion of the ritual. She followed the figures in respectful silence and did her best to perform her part. Although she had laughed and teased with the monks during part of her time with them, she could feel the seriousness in the air. This was a sacred affair, and she was determined to show proper humility and respect. They took her to a narrow room with oddly shaped openings in the walls. Without instruction, she climbed atop the table, trying to center herself. She closed her eyes, took slow, deep breaths on the count of seven, and calmly addressed her thoughts. No one touched her, but she could feel the presence of hands above her head, feet, hands, and navel. She felt no pressure but a warm, tingling sensation infused her flesh as the energy shifted and moved. Her meditation evolved into a deep trance, her body feeling as if it were waving back and forth without moving, and, at first, she didn't notice the sound. Rhythmic music created by many voices chanting in harmony started low and soft, 
but it gradually grew in volume and intensity. There seemed to be no distinct words or meaning, and Katrin immersed herself in the deep bass vibrations. Two distinct chants merged around her. One came from the left, the other from the right. As one intensified, the other would subside, and gradually they reversed, creating a deep, pulsating sensation. The joy of floating along the energy now swirling around her was magnificent, but it felt self-indulgent. She was here to be cleansed, not pampered. Beginning her meditation again, she concentrated on each thought as it came to her. Some were dark and challenging, others light and amusing. Each one she processed and accepted before casting it away. Having become more adept at the process, and in the midst of the energy, she found it possible to admit and accept some very difficult things, things that would normally have driven her to tears. Envisioning a fountain of energy flowing from her forehead to the sky, she poured all the hurt and pain from her soul into the wellspring. She allowed it to be as it would be, and embraced the things that made her who she was. It seemed at first as if her fountain of anguish would flow forever, but it finally began to abate. As it dwindled, a pure flow of energy took its place. More and more, love and joyfulness washed away the pain. As the flow became pure joy, she cast it out in all directions, to be shared with everyone and everything. The energy poured through her and from her, and it felt as if a worn, dead shell were blasted away before the onslaught. The next breath was like Katrin's first. Inhaling deeply, she savored every scent in the air, each one a marvel. The air around her body vibrated as if alive, and she kept her eyes closed, afraid to break the spell. As her mind settled, she found the center of her focus. It was a small dot in her consciousness that seemed far away at first, but she applied her will and flowed closer. It grew no larger as she approached, it just felt nearer. When she could finally touch her center, it was sharp like the tip of a pine needle. Katrin figured something so important should be larger, then maybe it would not get lost so often. As the energy surrounding her reached a crescendo, she applied it and her will in an attempt to enlarge her center of focus. It grew slowly at first, resisting the change, but the rate of growth became exponential, and on every breath it seemed to double in size. Letting the energy flow, she experienced the life essence around her. As her energy field grew, it enveloped the monks. Using it, she expressed respect and love to them, and she thought she sensed reciprocation. Her consciousness expanded into the stone and began to encompass the rooms in the hall. She felt the mud baths, the rock basin, and still she flew outward. Feeling the life within the temple, she embraced it. A nagging absence of life in one part of her awareness tugged at her, but she could not focus on it. As she tried to narrow her perceptions down to that feeling, she sensed ancient life in another part of her consciousness. The chanting began to grow softer, slowly and gracefully dissipating, 
denying Katrin the opportunity to investigate the strange sensations. She gradually drew her consciousness back in as she lost the ability to maintain her far-reaching center. When her center shrank to the size of a melon, she grabbed onto it with her mind and solidified it. She imagined it as a large version of the polished onyx from the stone basin. It had weight and texture. It was solid and real. With a deliberate mental effort, she stored it in a very special location, floating atop the night black stone at the center of the Grove of the Elders, which still existed in Katrin's memory. Utter silence filled the room in the absence of chanting, and Katrin could no longer feel the monks contributing to her energy flow. Her body tingled and still seemed to vibrate long after the monks departed. Left to revel in the feeling of having been cleansed and remade, her body and consciousness sang. Gradually, the effects wore off, and exhilaration was replaced by weariness. Somewhere in between, she drifted into a deep and dreamless sleep. That concludes this episode of Inherited Danger. Thank you for listening. For the latest news and new releases, be sure to check out patioracket.com.